This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for January 6th, 2013. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Today, we come to the Feast of the Epiphany. It's the end of the great celebration of the incarnation of God you know, the enfleshment of God Himself. It started with uh, Christmas Day, which was the first day of Christmas, in spite of what you hear on the radio, and uh, ran for 12 days. And last night was the 12th night of Christmas, and today is Epiphany. Our brothers and sisters in the Eastern Orthodox Church actually celebrate their, what we would call Christmas. You know, the big celebration was actually last night, like we do on Christmas Eve. And so uh, they open up presents today, this morning. But it's this great celebration of God coming in the flesh. And epiphany itself comes from a Greek word that is epiphanos, is what the Greek word is. And what it means is revealed. Revealed. Something is revealed. And so we come together to celebrate the revelation of God, not only to the Jews, but also to the nations. If you remember, Isaiah prophesied, you will be a light to the nations. And in Christ, that has now come true. Because now we celebrate that, that salvation and being belonging to God does not just belong to the Jewish nation. It now belongs to anyone of any, any nation who wants to come and be part of Jesus Christ. And it's been opened up. And that's why the theme for Epiphany is the wise men who, you know, come from the east, it says. And it says that they traveled from the east seeking the king of the Jews. Now, that, that's an odd sort of thing for people to do, to come all the way from the area of probably somewhere around modern-day Baghdad into um, Jerusalem. I mean, that's quite a hike especially on a camel or a donkey or something. I mean, and why would someone who wasn't even a Jew want to go see the king of the Jews being born? These men are called magi because um, that's the the Greek word that's used there, and it means wise men. But it's also probably philosophers would be a more modern term that we think of. Uh, They were probably um, astrologers of Zoroastrianism who studied not only the stars, although they did study stars, but also philosophies of all great people. So they were very educated. And so here they come all this way, and naturally where they go is Jerusalem. I mean, where else would a king be born, right? King of the Jews would be born in the capital. And so they get there, and lo and behold, there's a king there. And they they probably were assuming that this king that was to be born was Herod's son. But that wasn't the case. And so they ask him, where is it that the king of Jews have been born? Because we've seen the signs and we've read the prophecies and we know that he's been born and we want to come and pay him homage. And it says then, and the most interesting thing, it says, Herod was greatly afraid. And then it says something even more interesting. And all of Jerusalem was afraid with him. Now, what was Herod afraid of? Yeah, somebody's going to overthrow his throne. I mean, he tended to get paranoid as he got older anyway. He killed many members of his own family, his own kids, because he was worried that they were plotting against him to overthrow him. And and it says that, that he was greatly afraid because now these people come, I mean, these are scholars, come all the way from the East, and they say, 
that somebody who's been born is going to be king of the Jews. Well, what's interesting about that is that it says, and all Jerusalem with him. Why was all Jerusalem afraid? Hmm? Does Rome know? Yep. Because when the king when the king ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> I mean, they knew what he was capable of, and they knew that they were likely to be victims of that. And so, you know, they too are terrified of what the results are going to be. And Herod he is a Jew, and he does the most interesting thing. He calls together all the chief priests and scribes of Jerusalem to come to say, where is the king supposed to be born? What do the scriptures say? Obviously, he didn't study that hard for his bar mitzvah because uh, he really should have known that. Um, and so they said, well, Bethlehem of Judea is what the scriptures say. And so he calls the wise men back to him and says, well, he's in Bethlehem of Judea. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down there. And when you find him, come back here and tell me exactly where he is so that I can go pay him homage too. Now, if you were one of the wise men, wouldn't that be enough to make you go, hmm, why would the current king want to go pay homage to the new king who isn't even a descendant of his? That doesn't sound too good. But they go and they follow the star until it rests over the place where they find the child. And then something that we miss often happens. Where did they find the child? In a house. Where did the shepherds find the child? In a manger. That didn't go with our nativity sets, does it? Apparently, they finally got her out of the stable at some point, which I'm sure she was grateful for, and, and there was room in the house. And so it says they entered into the house, and there they saw the child. And, and then some interesting things happened. But even before we get to that, I want to talk a little bit about how many wise men were there? Yeah, Scripture doesn't say, does it? It just says wise men from the east. So where do we get three from? There were three gifts. And so our assumption, somebody's assumption in the church was, well, if they had three gifts, there must have been three of them because nobody would have wanted to come without a gift. Now, why they couldn't give it to them collectively, I've never figured that one out. But, but so they come up with three of them. What were their names? <laughs> I heard them. <laughs> Different people. Gaspar. Melchior and Balthazar, and they all come in to to pay homage to the new king being born. Now, this is really remarkable if you think about it. This would be like if the um, three leading scholars of Yale, Princeton, and Harvard all go to east the east side of Columbus off of Main Street in a back alley to a family that is homeless and is being given shelter in somebody's room, you know, give them a room to stay in, and they all come in, and the first thing they do is what? Kneel. Now, that would draw attention, don't you think? Because you have to imagine, these people are, are, are scholars. I mean, they're very well educated. They're very well paid. Undoubtedly, they're, they're clothed in great, you know, robes that cost a lot of money. They probably got their suits at, you know, Brooks Brothers or something like that. And, and I mean, they, they know what they're doing. And yet, these who aren't even Jews 
Come and kneel. What does it mean to kneel before someone? Accept their lordship, yeah. It means that you recognize them as the, the king over you. But we also kneel before someone else. God. So already you have this anomaly that's going on that these non-Jews come to a Jew, these wealthy, aristocratic-type people, well-educated, come and kneel before a baby. Now, you have to think about that for a moment. What do you suppose Jesus thought about all that? Probably nothing. <laughs> he says, when do I get lunch? I mean, <laughs> he's a baby. He didn't notice. Mary and Joseph were probably terrified. I mean, what would you do if, you know, what Bill Gates and Donald Trump and um, Warren Buffett all showed up at your house and kneeled before you know, a new child, new grandchild you have in your house. And it would be really weird. And yet that's exactly what's going on here. And then they go even further, though. It says that they opened up their treasure chest. Now, a treasure chest sounds more like someone should be on a pirate ship. It's actually a strong box would be what we would call it, which means that it's probably leaded and very heavy and very firm, and it probably has a very secure lock on it. Because you have to remember, they had to travel a long way. And there were lots of robbers. And so you wanted to make sure that you kept your thing safe. And so here they bring in this huge, heavy trunk and, and put it on the floor, you know, this big thud. And then they go through all the trouble of unchaining it and unlocking it and opening up. And they bring out three things that they give to them. Anybody know what they were? Gold, frankly. Why would they give Jesus gold? What would a baby do with gold? Be good for teething, I guess. Because he's a king, why would you give gold to a king? Hmm? Etiquette? No. Most personnel? No. Well, let me ask you why do you give um, taxes to the government? In the old days, they used to call that tribute. We come up with a better name now. We call it taxes. <laughs> but, but it's basically the same thing. You do it to acknowledge their sovereignty over you. They're in charge. And so they have a right to a portion of your money is, is what's happening here. And so sometimes some people might think they have a right to it because they're bigger than me. <laughs> but they have a right and they can do it. And so when they come and give him gold, they're acknowledging his sovereign authority over them. Now, again, this is a, a very radical departure because these people were probably citizens of the Persian Empire. The Persian emperor probably wouldn't have thought that was a good idea. And yet here they are, kneeling before him, giving him gold. And then they give him frankincense. Anybody know what frankincense is? If I said to you, let's be frank, what would I mean? Let's all go be Frank Scott? <laughs> hmm? Honest, yeah. So true is another word for it. So frankincense is true incense. Incense is the nectar, the droplets of a syrupy type thing that come out of the petals of a particular flower that grows in the Middle East. And if you collect those, they eventually harden into a crystal. And these little lumps come out, and that, that's what incense is. And when you burn them, they offer up the, the aroma of, of the flower. 
Now, why are they giving Jesus incense? Because he's God? But why would you give God incense? Signifies his death? It does do that, but all the gifts actually kind of intermingle, but but this one is something even more different than that. Purify? Well, he was pure, wasn't he? You had it right when you thought about God. Where where do you use incense? In worship, yeah. And so in worship, you offer incense. Why? It's an aroma pleasing to God. So for all you people who hate incense, keep that in mind. But <laughs> uh, what happens to incense? It goes up. Who lives up there? God. And it's the symbol of the prayers of all of us being lifted up into the heavens to God. It is a way that we offer up ourselves to God. So by giving him this incense, they are also acknowledging not only as king, but as God. Now, again, that's a very radical kind of thing to do. And then they give him a third gift of myrrh. Anybody know what myrrh is? Kind of like an oil. It's um, yeah, it's a rosa. It's kind of like a mix between a waxy kind of oily stuff kind of thing. And they they give him this myrrh. What did they use myrrh for? Hmm. <laughs> Burial. What do they do with it? They anoint. Now, when we anoint, we make a sign of a cross on people's forehead. That's not the way you anoint for burial. They rub it all over their skin. Do you know why? What happens when you die to your skin? It dries up. And what this does is keep it more supple. It's part of what they used in embalming in Egypt um, when they had mummies. But they would put this resin on them because it would keep their skin um, more supple so that it wouldn't crack and, and open up in the midst of that. But it also symbolizes something. Why would they give him the myrrh? Hmm? Anointing the king? No, they anointed with olive oil. He's going to die, but there's more. What does it do to death? It preserves. It's a sign of his conquering of death itself. That that he is going to be greater even than death. That nothing can wither him up or destroy him. And so you have these non-Jews coming to pay homage to a Jewish king who they acknowledge as God, who they say is going to conquer death. And in that one act, Isaiah's prophecy has come true. And all of us, the nations, now have access to this victory over death, to this God who is Jesus Christ, to this lordship so that he can be our king, all because that they, they go there and they offer these gifts. Now, some of the things that are interesting that aren't in there are, what did they do with the gifts? Man, we have no idea, do we? 
That's interesting. I mean, we really have no idea what happened to the golden frank. Did they sell it when they went to Egypt? I mean, we, we uh, hmm? invested in gold. Yeah, <laughs> start all those commercials. Um, we don't know what they did with them, but it's interesting because we do see these same elements popping up in scriptures during Jesus' ministry. Anybody remember what happened when Peter came to Jesus and said, they're demanding that we pay of them the tax? What, what did he do? What did he say to Peter? Yeah, go fishing over there. When you catch fish, there'll be a coin. Give him the money. That'll pay for it. Does anybody remember a time when you saw... A, someone anointing Jesus. Yeah, the sinful woman who comes with a glass flask of nard and pours it all over his feet. Remember, Judas got really ticked off because he said it could have been sold and we could have fed a lot of poor people with that and why, are the, why is she wasting it by putting, making his feet smelly? And yet, Jesus says, leave her alone. She's done what has been appointed to her to do. Because again, what she's doing is she is, it's a sign of resurrection that is going to come. And incense, where else do we see incense in Jesus' ministry or his life? That's the hardest one, I'll tell you. What happens when Jesus is presented in the temple? Who's there? And what's he doing? He's offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. Do you know what a sacrifice of thanksgiving in Leviticus is? Incense. You burn incense. So we see those same elements coming back around again in Jesus' ministry, and those themes weave their way 